It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, I'm Sylvia Moss, and this is Insight a presentation of iHeartMedia where we really do care about our local communities and all our listeners who live here. You know, everybody says it. What we wish for our kids is the best of everything, especially when it comes to education. But how does the saying go? Wish in one hand and, well, even before the pandemic, education in this country has had its ups and downs. We all know that. Yet schools, for the most part, do the best that they can to educate kids. My guest today says that it's not what the students are taught. More important is how they are taught. My guest has earned an incredible amount of success with students because, number one, he was raised by an educator. He has undergraduate degrees, and you'll find that out quickly, in psychology and engineering from Leeds University in the U.K. And then he went on to receive a postgraduate degree with a teaching certificate in physics and math from Cambridge University. And at Cambridge, this guy was graduated in the top 10 students of his year. He also holds a master's degree in education leadership from the University of Alabama. And he's taught all over the world. He's been to England, Finland, Jamaica, and the Cayman Islands, and was a school service administrator in Norway, China, and the United States. And I usually don't talk about people's uh, bios or resumes, but I think this is very important. So you know where this gentleman is coming from. In July of 2019, Adrian Allen became the head of Harrisburg Academy right here in Warmersburg. And the thing about this, uh, talking to, to Mr. Allen today, is what he has done. He's brought the highly acclaimed International Baccalaureate Learning Philosophy to the Academy. And uh, through the International Baccalaureate Program, the kids are able to focus on academics, but also they focus on their community, which is awesome, and they are taught how to go about being creative and developing just who they are. You know what, Adrian? I can't tell you how thrilled I am to share what you do with my listeners because a big part of it, which we'll talk about later in the interview, is something I've been on for years telling people this should be done. But let me ask you this to start with. No doubt about it. You're very well qualified for, for the, not only for this position, but for pretty much anything in education. How in the world did you get to Harrisburg Academy? <clears throat> this school is almost 240 years old. It's in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You've been all over the world. Why did you choose to come here? Oh, well, thank you, Sylvia, for that wonderful introduction. I feel better than I really am. Um, <laughs> I chose to come to um, Pennsylvania. Well, I was looking for a school that wanted to do the program that I have spent nearly 30, 40 years of my life promoting, which is this International Baccalaureate, and wanted to do it in the way that I believe it should be done, which is teaching not only the diploma part, which is done in the last two years of school, but actually doing the, the, the IB program in the elementary and middle schools. And Harrisburg Academy... Um, trustees were interested in doing that. So uh, this made this a very attractive school for me. And I have to say, I visited Pennsylvania, and I love Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania oh, is like wonderful. my home. That's great. That's great. Well, let me 
the whole there's there's a a core to this program. And to me, after reading about what it is, the whole thing, as you said, it's not what the kids are taught. It's how they're being taught. And this isn't to put down school teachers or administrators. It's maybe they don't know about it or maybe, you know what I'm saying? Why, first Mm -hmm. of all, could you explain the concept? And second of all, Mm -hmm. why do you think that they're not using it all around the country? The principle of this program is this, that basically we are not going to teach something weird and unusual that nobody else does. What we teach is we teach a curriculum which is um, it does reading, the writing, the math, the science, and so on, but we right. present it in a more uh, engaging way, and we try very hard to make it interactive because the students of today need to interact. They are not just going to be passive learners. So we work very hard on that. We try to teach them in a conceptual way too. Rather than simply memorizing content, we believe it is more important to understand the concepts because concepts are transferable to new situations. So I think that is the essence of the program. But it also recognizes, I think, that it is important to teach students Um, soft skills like collaboration and things like that. Absolutely. And I think that we'd all be better off if, if we learn those, I mean, some of the soft skills you're talking about, which I I had uh, mentioned earlier, uh, we should have them as an adult because it would help us get through a lot of stuff, like how to be uh, organized and time management. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Those are big issues with adults. Yes. I mean, how many of us have had to work with colleagues and we realize that we're not good at that? And when we look back at our training in school, nobody ever really taught us how to work in yeah. a group. And then they're surprised that we can't do it. <laughs> Another thing I'm impressed with, it says you work uh, to build student resilience so they can respond mm-hmm. to challenges. That's a biggie. Mm-hmm. That's how do you a go very about biggie. I think, well, um, resilience is about experiencing Um, being wrong and realizing that being wrong sometimes is actually a good thing because it teaches you something new. I have a saying that if you never make a mistake, you tend not to learn anything. You have sometimes to to come up against something you can't do. And there's been a tendency in schools to protect students from that, to protect them from ever feeling that it didn't come out right. And if you do that, then, of course, when they get into the real world and they're faced with a challenge and they don't succeed, they, they see this as a major catastrophe rather than an opportunity to improve. You know, I've often said uh, kids need to, um, kids can't balance a checkbook, kids don't know, uh, please and thank you, they don't know how to write. When, when I talk to kids, a lot when kids want to go into, into journalism, you know, I said it doesn't matter what you go into. You better learn English. You better learn how to write well, because no matter mm-hmm. what school you go to or what course you get into, you're going to want to know that. That's another thing. And it's sort of like, mm-hmm. I don't know, have we taken a, a lackadaisical attitude towards education in this country? What do you think? I don't think that America has taken a lackadaisical attitude to this. Um I think um, what has happened here is the world has changed rather rapidly and public education and big schools have a hard time adapting quickly to change. 
because they need to consult a lot of people, they need to get votes and so on in order to do oh, yeah. things. And I think that the that has been, um, it will continue to be problematic for schools as the needs of students are changing. I mean, we're being told that you know, that 65% of the jobs that students have in the future don't exist today. We're being told that information is being generated at a fantastic rate. We're being told, you know, that students' will jobs may only last for four or five years before they need to retrain and do a new one. That isn't what school traditionally was doing. It was looking at doing things like my career, which is 40 years or something. So yeah. it's, it requires a different style of instruction, and that is something that's difficult because most parents believe that what they got is good enough for them, so therefore it must be good enough for their kids. <laughs> and I don't think that's any longer true. In you know, any area. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids nowadays, are, they're exposed to a lot more than we were exposed to growing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. But on the flip side, the soft skills suffer. You know, it's difficult. You know, you talk about motivation, and one thing that I would love to know is how do you motivate a teenager? You know how it is that a child comes home, how was school, honey? Okay, what'd you do? Nothing. And yet it could be a, a brilliant child or someone who wasn't intelligent. And it's the same story. Hormones, going through all this. How do you do that? How do you continue it at home, too? Well, I think the important thing to realize is that the brains of students have been sort of rewired. I mean, I always look at myself as a, I'm, I'm a fairly old person, so I used to listen a lot to the radio. And in fact, sort of radio was entertaining to me, listening passively. My brother, who's about 14 years younger than me, and a professor, uh, he liked TV. The, the young kids of today are playing video games. And the great yes. thing about video games is you have to do something. So the first thing that I think you have to do to motivate kids is you have to make them actively be involved regularly in what they're doing. And that doesn't mean, you know, every now and again. I mean, literally, they need to be a part of their learning process. So they, And the other thing I think that they have got used to is this idea that they would like to do something that's real. They don't want to do schoolwork. And one of the things we're going to talk yeah. about later is service. And that, to them, appears to be real work. So they want an authentic experience, and they want, they want to be actively involved, and that is what changes. So I, one of the things we do in the school here is we say to teachers, you know, you used to talk 80% of the time, and the kids maybe talked 10 15% of the time. You need to switch this round. The kids need to be actively involved in their learning 80% of the time, and you are more like somebody who's prodding them to to discuss things in the right way. So you are not mm-hmm. going to be the sage on the stage anymore. You are going to be the person who is uh, getting the students to be discussing their learning in the right way, making them responsible for their learning. But that actually means they remember it better. You're right. And uh, it, it also helps them improve their commu- uh, the communication skills, working with other people, all the things we had just talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many kids are afraid to get up there when they, first time they have to do a book report? I remember getting up there when I was a kid doing a book report, and although I, I it was I got rated well for it, I'd start to laugh, and that's how mm-hmm. I uh, I uh, handled my nervousness. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but you yeah. I'm sorry. I think, you know, I was going to just agree with you. And I think that the one thing I noticed, too, is that when you're a teacher and you see the teachers stand up in front of their kids, they're fine. They can do this. But when yeah. they are uh, in front of the parents, you see their knees shake. Um, you know, practice is the key here. And so we yeah. spend a lot of time asking students to present because this is a very, very useful skill to have when you grow older. I mean, when you go to, out to work, you often have to present things. You have to present your ideas. And the only way you get good at that is by practicing it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When you first get students, when you, well, first of all, your program starts at what, uh, third grade? Uh, three-year-old, three-year-old. Oh, oh, three years old. Wow, wow. So you offer at the school, you offer uh, preschool, uh, even after-school programs all the way up to seniors. Mm-hmm. So at three years old, how do you how do you urge and I don't want to say uh, encourage a three year old to do all the things you just talked about? Well, the first thing I think that you need to understand is most people don't think three year olds can do stuff. Actually, three year olds are much more capable than people believe if you give them a chance. So, for example, one of the projects we do with the three year olds would be to build a small town. They, what we do is we put a big board down, we put some green and a river across it, and we let the kids put a house on it. At that point, mm-hmm. we then create each morning a problem, so like a newspaper headline, you know, house on fire. And then the students have to determine what is needed to fix the problem. Not be told you need a fire station, you need a fire pump, you need this, yeah. but to be asked, solve it. They can do that, even at three. And then one of the other things that they do is they add houses. The teachers every day add a few houses. And there comes a point where the kids go, there's no room for us. And, and I've heard kids go, I'm moving. <laughs> They're fantastically able to do things if you give them a chance. It's, it's all about the famous wait time. You know, you have to wait a bit to give kids yeah. an opportunity. And you have to accept that at three, your solution is fairly simple. But you have to go, that's your solution, guys. That works for me. We're going to get a fire engine, you know, or whatever it is. Well, you're for, for pretty much forcing them to learn on, not only say learn on their own, but use their brains. That's brilliant. But you have, it's like everything else, though. You've got to continue it year after year. And that kind of brings me to what I wanted to talk about the most is the way these children are encouraged and raised on a regular basis to be, give back to their communities. We all talk about, oh, these kids, they have everything. They're selfish. They're all, it's all about me. But if we would start this when they're little, and, and not only what it's, how it's going to result in the end when they're 18 years old, but also what it gives them, how good they feel when they go do something for somebody else they might think of as being a chore. And that's... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There it's oh my gosh, what the person they were there to help has given them. Mm-hmm. I think this is wonderful, think- wonderful. So tell me about that, how that works, and give me some examples, because that's, that's terrific. I will. I'll tell you this. The first thing I start out with service is, service has to come from the person who is doing its heart. One of the problems with service, I think, in schools has been that it comes from the teacher's heart. Yes, the teacher right. decides what they think is important, and the kids are just told, well, this is good for you, kind of do it. I want a service in schools to be much more student-driven. Students must have a say in what they do as service. They must have ownership of the project if they are really to do it in the way that we want. The passion must belong to the students. The problem then becomes that the students don't really know how to create and organize an effective service project. So here in Harrisburg Academy, what we have decided is you must teach people how to organize a project like this. And mm-hmm. I don't mind making that uh, part of my program because, you know, if you can organize a service project well, you can organize any other project well. And guess That's what? That's right. You yeah. remember all this thing about I can't, why don't the kids do the projects that are being sent home? They don't really know how to do that. So we try to build into our program teaching our students the necessary skills to be creative and produce effective service projects. We begin with, you know, JK to four, probably doing fairly teacher-led ones because they've been, but they're looking not just at what the project is, but how the project was put together, the process. In fifth grade, the way you culminate the lower school is by doing a project called the exhibition in which they have a mentor, but they get in a group of five and throughout the year they've been collecting sort of ideas, which we call you know, what's bugging me, right? And they pick one of these ideas and they do a project as part of school. This is not an extra. This is actually part of the program. They do for five or six weeks, they complete this project because it involves, in our case, social studies, language arts. It involves art itself because they have to actually produce something artistic to represent their project. They do inquiry, which is learning how to find things out. They learn skills like self-management, time management, collaboration, and presentation skills that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. That they then share their project when they've finished with their parents and with their teachers and with their fellow schoolmates. And the sort of projects they do are things like there was a child whose father smoked and he wanted to stop them. So they did the research into smoking, cancer, and how risky it was. They interviewed the people who made cigarettes. They interviewed the people who were against smoking and helped people give up. That, that kind of project he was passionate about. They made videos. They made pictures. They did the research. And that was the way they proved, really, that they'd been successful in the school. If you get kids to do that, I think it's fantastic. Oh, it is. uh, You had told me, too, uh, we had chatted a little while ago about a young lady who's working with um, ballet with children, other children. Oh, yeah. 
that was an older student um, because our program goes on. You know, you do something in eighth grade called a community project, which is with less people, something in 10th grade called a personal project, right, which is a project, a service project, which you choose yourself. And then there's this CAST project, which is our sort of culminating project. By this time, our students have been taught fairly well how to do this. And this young Uh lady worked with um, students who um, were disabled and helped them to do ballet. And uh, she designed, you know, what they would do and went every week to teach them. And this creativity, this CAST project stands for Creativity, Action and Service. Well, the creative part was she designed the dances. The action was she went and helped people do, do them and actually danced with them. And it was a service to a group who otherwise may not have got the chance to do that. I mean, there's, there's a girl who did collected toiletries for homeless people and distributed them. But more important, I think, in this is I don't like, you know, the, the services that are just about collecting money. What I admire about our students is they actually interact with the people. You've got to know the people you're helping. It's, you know, That's right. It's too clean and distant to collect money. You don't really relate to that, the, the people. So it's, it's nice to, to, to collect, you know, money for food drives and to, do, to write letters to encourage heroes like we, our kids did recently. But it's better to be interacting with people themselves. Like we had a group in the fifth grade, this fifth grade group, who actually went to play with the students in an orphanage. They just played with them. But, you know... That meant more to those kids than any book or money or whatever. That's what they wanted. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is the first uh, year or two for this program at Harrisburg Academy, but Mm -hmm. I cannot. I mean, somebody has to get this on a national platform. Um, I I just can't see how you can miss in any way building self-esteem, learning soft skills. And the thing of it is, you can apply it to any industry. Let me ask you this. What's the response from parents? of the students that go to Harrisburg Academy? Parents like the program because they they see the engagement of the program. You know, they see kids come back and say, you know, what are you doing? Oh, I'm in a publishing company. And you go, my goodness me, what do you mean? You're in a publishing. Well, <laughs> they're writing fairy stories, right, which they are going to have bought by the school to put in the library and bound as a real book. And instead of coming back and going, you know, what did you do? Oh, nothing. They're going, oh, you know, I'm in the publishing company. I got paid. I'm the managing director. I had to write in my resume and hand it in. Of course, in second grade, their resume is very simple. Like, I should be the editor. I'm a great speller and people like me. But, you know, even <laughs> you're a second grader, right, that you have to apply for a job and that you, you might have to say what your good points are. It's a great lesson. And it's, it, it's about writing. It's about a genre. They wrote fairy stories in one genre and letters to get a job, which is a different looking thing. They were doing math because they were getting paid. And guess what? They really cared about it. Because if you didn't get your wages right, people got upset. So they made sure they got their numbers right. It, it's, parents see the engagement that is in this program. And they can see how this is preparing them for the world of the future. They can and see that's all we that want. being a problem. And, yeah. and you know what else, too? Mental health issues. I mean, kids, they're floating all over the place. We, it's like we don't know how to help them, but we didn't have anybody. How can I say this? They'll be well, much better off to face the world 
than the previous generation because this is giving them the whole package. I mean, it's the mental health, fitness, uh, the skills they need as far as getting ahead in school. I mean, how to get along with people. These are all things that's almost like, I'm shocked that somebody hasn't taken this and run with it on a national level. It would it be difficult now? Harrisburg Academy is a private, smaller private school. Would it be difficult mm-hmm. to um, do this on a, a bigger scale with public schools? No, let me say this: this is done in public schools in the U.S. U.S. actually is a country that has the most of these schools. I think compared to any other, there are something like two thousand of them in the US already. What is missing is there are not many in Pennsylvania. When I was in California, there were 250 of these schools in in the state. In Florida, it's used as a very popular um, gifted and talented kind of program. But in Pennsylvania, there are schools, they're mainly in Washington and Philadelphia where diplomats who have used these schools in other countries, because these this program is taught in 157 countries around the world. It's the program that business people and diplomats use. And when they come back, they, they liked it so much that they almost always insist that there be one. So guess what? In the places where business people hang out, big cities and in, uh, you know, diplomats oh, hang out okay. in Washington, you'll find plenty of these schools. They get it. We need, these in Calif- in, it, we need to have more of these schools in Pennsylvania. And that's one of the reasons I kind of liked it. I came here and I'm going, good heavens, there isn't one of these schools in sort of 50 miles. <laughs> we wow. Around the school, we need to do this. I think another one is starting somewhere quite with, I can't remember which town it is, but there is another one within about 20 miles now. But this is a program that should be more popular. And it, it, it's not really require you to be an IB school. It's a, it's a requirement to adopt what is considered yeah, yeah. best practices. And would it, would it require um, additional training for teachers? I mean, do, are yes. we training teachers everything that they need to know I, at these days? This is, this is something at the moment that requires you to retrain your teachers. One of the things that the trustees of this school was very good about was that uh, they doubled the uh, money that we spend on professional development. And this is a big thing I think people don't understand. If this was a business, if this was a business making motor cars, we would retool the school regularly. We won't want blunt right. tools making the thing. But the tools in a school are teachers. And if you don't put money into professionally developing your teachers, you will not keep up with the times. And I think that there is a lack of investment in the professional expertise of teachers. And that's one of the things that I think Harrisburg Academy has shown that it's willing to do, and it's willing to give teachers the opportunity to become 21st century teachers rather than 20th century teachers. Well, to me, it's a no-brainer. You invest the money now rather than being left yeah. behind years down the road. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the core of what runs the country. I mean, how difficult mm-hmm. is there? Anybody? I don't know if you would know this or not. Is there anybody in the state legislature that knows about this? There are. There are. I, uh, okay. The the wife of the governor, I think, has had some experience with this program. Believe it or not, okay. I believe she knows quite a bit about the program because when I met her about a year, very very briefly, 
um, I met her at an event and we were talking about IB. This is almost when I first came here. And she seemed to know quite a bit about it. So I think she actually does know about it. And that's probably because they have traveled around somewhere at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think it's wonderful. If somebody wants to find... I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Go on. Excuse me. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You were saying you would like what? I I would love to, you know, get the chance to talk to her and talk about the system. But if somebody wants to know about this program, there is a place to go. You can go to the... Uh, www.ibo.org. Okay. And what about Harrisburg Academy? Oh, Carol, the Academy, if you want to know more about how to get it here in in, uh, Pennsylvania, you go to www.harrisburgacademy, or one word, .org. Or you can call us at the phone number, uh, which is, I'll give you now, 717-763-7811. One one, and we would love to show you what we have and show you about the school and let you see why we think this is a great program. I think it's incredible. I, I mean, keeping a program like this away from, it's like if you had, this might be a terrible example, but it, it's almost like if, if you had a disease and you were dying and somebody out in the middle of it nowhere had the answer, could fix it, and you knew about it, and you didn't give mm-hmm. it to this. I mean, I think it's ridiculous not to to incorporate this into uh, into every school out there because it's gonna it's gonna turn around so many things. You're, people talk about society. Mm-hmm. Whoa, what this would do for society, and I'm especially impressed with how children become more empathetic about life because of the volunteering program. And and I mean it's it's wonderful. It's just a wonderful. And I have to thank you for for talking to us. And there's some other things that go on at the school that I think are wonderful that we don't have time to talk to you about right now, but if you'd be willing to come back, that would be great. Things like how you handle the pandemic and, you know, things like that, which I think are mm-hmm. amazing that you had kids back in the classroom, a lot of the kids back in the classroom a couple of months after this whole thing started and they're completely safe. I just love everything. So maybe you need to run for office, my dear. <laughs> I doubt that I'd be good at that. But I well, mean, it I, has I'm been passionate about this and excited about it. Oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank you so very much. Thank you, Silver. Oh, absolutely. You've heard it. If you want your child to grow up to be motivated and that woman, the teenager, I want to know that motivation because if we can put that in a bottle, I'm going to be really rich. Uh, if you want them to be motivated, a good communicator, open-minded, knowledgeable, and most of all, caring about other people and how to work with other people, Harrisburg Academy is a wonderful start. Adrian Allen, head of Harrisburg Academy. Again, thank you so much. And if you want to contact thank Adrian you. or any of my guests, you can always email me at Sylvia Moss. That's M-A-U-S at iHeartMedia.com. Insight with Sylvia Moss has been a presentation of iHeartMedia. Talk with you soon, and please stay safe. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.